Hello, I'm Dorita Allen. Thank you for downloading this podcast and I really hope you enjoy it. And just tell me again, um, just a little bit about from the, the history of where we are here and your garden. So, so this property was founded in 1880 by mm-hmm. Frederick Sargood, an Englishman. And um, we took over the vegetables of production of this property, which is 15 acres, so it's a big property for, a cent- for the middle of a city of 5 million. Mm-hmm. Um, we took over the vegetable production about uh, eight and a half years ago. We started with one plot, and then we got another plot, and then we got another plot. Now we have four plots, an orchard, and about 100 species of plants in the 15-acre property that we harvest from as well. So Fantastic. all in all, there's about 250 species of plants that we can harvest from here. And what did you say a minute ago, 120 different types of fruit trees? That's right, yeah, yeah. 120 uh, apples and 30 pears. That's fantastic. And we just walked into the uh, galvanised gate there a few minutes ago and you have this wonderful, what I would call, apple box garden. Yeah. And uh, lots of herbs and everything, but so many native Australian foods and um, plants that I never saw before. Sure, yeah. Um, we, I, I work with uh, an, a Koori uh, man. Um, his name is Bruce Pascoe. Uh, he's of Bunurong heritage. Is he the person who wrote that book? Dark Emu, yeah. Which so. I have in my case. Oh, how fantastic. Oh my goodness, it's yeah. absolutely unputdownable, except I haven't had quite enough time to, to read it, but I'm going to, you know, even now I'm even more fascinated. Yeah. He's a great friend and, um, and a, a great Australian, and, yeah. uh, and he's really led the charge uh, as an Aboriginal man for Aboriginal people in Australia yeah. to uh, learn about their heritage through food and to try to reclaim some of their knowledge around it and hopefully mm. in the future benefit from the growing of it. So yeah. um, when when his um, when his organisation comes on, um, uh, which is going to be called Black Duck, um, they will be growing grains, um, uh, f- they'll be milling uh, indigenous um, grains for flour, yeah. um, murnong and other, and other, uh, other species of plants like kangaroo grass. Um, and we'll be buying from them, which is going to be pretty cool because, you know, you always want to kind of, you know, buy from the people who Absolutely. who hold the knowledge and yes. whose culture it is. Yes. You know? um, and it's not, unfortunately, a lot of acknowledgement in Australia. Yeah, uh, but it's that. changing. I mean, I haven't been here, Ben, for over a decade now. And one of the things that has totally thrilled me this time is that virtually every restaurant I go into now, and there were a few the last time, yep. you know, I ate rich chili grubs and various other things. Uh, but now every single restaurant, boy, have I eaten well since I came over here, Excellent. Uh, has is showcasing... Oh, that awful word uh, some of your native uh, Australian foods on the menu yeah and it's really for me it's, of course it's fascinating because it's a whole different it's a taste of this place a taste of That's right. of this country that it's been a know, long we've time been coming. longing for really. yeah absolutely yes. I mean what's unique about this land I mean yeah. this land you know can produce everything year-round almost you know yes. this is an amazing situation to be in as a cook yes um, but one thing that's been missing in our story for you know, a few hundred years actually since settlement um, has been the fact that Australian people don't eat their their own plants, plants and don't yes. understand their own culture through food. And yes, and I mean, and we have you know quite a few issues around acknowledgement of Aboriginal people here, mm. particularly from white people. And I think one of the ways that we could commence reconciliation yes. would be having a meal together, or at least um, saying. Well, here's something that truly is ours. A cabbage is not ours, you know. Yes. Like a potato is not ours. And these yes. are delicious things, but they were brought here. Yes. So it's, it's a, such a strange um, perspective to me to 
to be talking, you know, some 250 odd years later, um, since the first fleet arrived, that today in 2017 that we're still largely ignoring yeah. those original plants. I mean, yeah. and only barely beginning to learn about them. Well, yeah, As but, a, but we yeah. adapted to, to we, and we took on so many other people's plants. Oh, you know, yes. like the Chinese came yes. and we, you know, we love their plants. You yes. know, and we and we eat them now like they're our own. The Italians, the Greeks came yes. in this area. The Jewish community came, but. But yet, still in this area here, very few people understand that, that there's a group of people that still live here called the Bunurong people, part of the Kulin Nation, part of uh, five clans around the bay that, uh, that existed, that cultivated this land, that lived here, and whose culture still exists. Mm. But that's, those people aren't acknowledged at all, you know, mm. like, so that's kind of a travesty and, to me. And who knew how to survive. Absolutely. This. And I mean, how urgent is this now as the climate changes in such an extraordinary, dramatic way? Are we going to need this knowledge or what? Well, absolutely, yes. and 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 we need to grow their plants because Australian indigenous plants. There's already everything it needs right here. Like it doesn't need anything else. Yes. So the amount of rain that it gets will be what it gets. You know, yes. and it won't mean, need to be mollycoddled the way that it is, and it doesn't yes. need inputs like fertilizer and pesticides because it's it's for this land. It's for the exactly. soil. You know. So exactly. So that's kind of this. That's the special thing about these plants. And hopefully, we're hoping, you know, through... And this is kind of one of the reasons why we've we've been using these plants for so long, because we find them fascinating, we think they're delicious, but also we think that Australians should understand their culture of food a little yeah. bit. Like, it's more than what yes. they think it is, you know? And, and let's hope the Aboriginals can actually... Uh, that they can cash in on this tradition now. So. And let's hope that... You know, because, we'll be terrified it, it, that still, uh, it, suddenly it becomes, you know, quite the thing, and then that again, yet again. Well, that's happening uh, yeah. already. I mean, so you know, one of the things that we, um, you know, we're passionate about is is trying to support Aboriginal people in their enterprise. You yes. know, whether it's tea, whether it's Murnong, yeah. whether it's green ants from uh, from the Northern Territory. Yes. You know, um, whatever it is, I, I would prefer to to prefer to buy off. I mean, I don't want to sound. I don't want to put in any reverse racism, but I would prefer to yeah. buy off you know, off an Aboriginal person um, because of their intimate knowledge and yes. the ownership of the culture and the knowledge and the yes. plant. You know, it's yes. far greater than somebody that just came along from New Zealand like myself and got excited <laughs> when they saw something. You know, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, Should we keep walking? It was eye-opening for me coming here in 2002 as an immigrant from New Zealand. The differences between the two countries. People always talk about. Oh, New Zealand and Australia are exactly the same. But when you start to have an interest in indigenous culture and heritage, you realise that there couldn't be two more different countries in the world. Um, you know, in New Zealand, Maori gained sovereignty through the Treaty of Waitangi more than 100 years ago. And Maori culture is now well integrated into all aspects of New Zealand life, whether you be Pakeha or Maori. Mm -hmm. You celebrate Maori culture as if it was your own. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of Pakeha, a lot of white people in New Zealand identify... Um, with their own culture as being Maori culture, at least uh, acknowledging and it being a, a very uh, fulfilled part of society. And but in Australia, when I came here, you know, like I was saddened and gobsmacked by attitudes by everyday Australians towards yeah. Aboriginal people. Um, and it's just something that you never would have got away with in New Zealand if yeah. you even had those thoughts or feelings yeah. Yeah. Uh, of racist uh, thoughts. Yeah. And um, so it's probably at this stage probably wrapped up with guilt actually and you're 100% right that is 100% yeah. what it is and it's actually the reason why 
largely the reason I think why Australian-born chefs have been slow to adapt to Indigenous ingredients because because of the guilt, the shame yeah. associated with the past, um, but also you know not not actually getting to know Aboriginal people and asking them about them and trying to make them part of the conversation. You know, like yeah. that's that's the thing. So you see a lot of frankly a lot of tokenism still on menus yeah. like um yeah. not, not like a real concerted effort to try to yes develop a new cuisine yeah. based on these ingredients that we've never really used in seriousness yeah. i mean we've we've used them but yeah. but it's been in the context of like oh well you know i'll put a kwandong instead on top of a pavlova rather than a, a, <laughs> rather a, a, a passion for you yeah yourself. exactly yes. yeah. yeah so yeah um which to me is not really like yeah, it's not really so going deep, them. going deep, uh, exactly, a deeper down. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So. Well, as several people have said to me since I came over, well, it's the Rennie Red Zeppi effect. You it, see that Rennie came over, but I know that I think that in some ways that did when Rennie. You know, oftentimes oh, we think, have to be told. In, I think it did in the, uh, from in the, outside, in the but, broader community. Yeah. But, but, the, but you guys were oh, yes, doing but, this for years. There were a few of you who really absolutely. deeply, well, deeply felt how important this was. Yeah, I mean, I think in particular. Jogs on Frillo and Arana and myself yes. have both felt pretty strongly about it for a yes. long time. Yes. Um, you know, and when, when Rene came, I mean, it was a great thing because yeah. he really kind of forced the issue with a lot of other people who were sitting on the fence, maybe. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes we have to be told yeah. you know, from by somebody well, from outside. Even more know? so in Australia, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> like when someone who's really amazing comes from another part of the world and says, oh, you must eat these foods or you must go and eat it. I mean, yeah. the same thing happened to Attica. You know, yes. Like Australia wasn't terribly interested in Attica yes. until, you know, maybe Rene and some journalists and David Chang and a few other people said, you guys got to go to that place. Uh, yes. You know, like, <laughs> yes. and then... And then and then everybody starts to beat apart to your door. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they're like, oh, yeah. well, we love you now because... Oh, yeah, yeah, well, good for you. You were, uh, you were right there pioneering. Well, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's just a personal interest more than yeah. anything. You know? yeah. So tell me what these are again. So uh, so we have uh, holly flax, mm-hmm. um, golden oregano. Yes. Um, the holly flax looks a little tiny bit like monk's beer, but tastes totally different. Yeah, I yeah. think it is a very, very, very distant relative right. of rosemary. Um, not in flavour, but in its plant form. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, when you're working with it, you'll see that it's quite... Um, yeah, it's quite... Um, um, oh, look at this little sort of like a herb garden hidden in here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is... Uh, mm. Coming out of winter a little bit, we need to spend some time in here. Um, so these are begonias. begonias do you yeah. eat your begonias? Yeah, we you do. do. Yeah, begonias. What do you eat? Do you eat the little? The whole, any of it? Um, really, it's um, rather a delicious. Um, it's rather a delicious plant. Um, uh-huh. Full of oxalic acid, quite sour. Oh. Um, oh my god! Yeah. I have to start to eat my begonias. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, this of course is coriander. That's for me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then this is the uh, um, chrysanthemum. Yeah, it's a chrysanthemum. Edible chrysanthemum. Yeah. Um, in the back is uh, is a watermelon sage, rather a hideous plant. A watermelon sage, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, more begonias. Uh, uh, do you use that, or is it just more decorative, the well, watermelon sage? I grew it to use it, but I yeah. don't like it, so yeah. I haven't found a use for it. Yeah. Uh, burnet. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Salad burnet. And then this is the one that I thought Lebanese looked... Lebanese crest. Yeah. Like Lebanese crest. It looked a little bit like the wild celery, or what we call fall celery at home. Yep. Uh, um... A very similar habit. And more begonias. You obviously love the begonias. Yeah. Yeah. Begonias, uh, you know, and is this a cut and come thing that you cut, and the more you cut it, the more it comes? That's right. Yeah. You, yeah. If you stay on top of it, it's gone. Yeah, definitely likes a bit of attention. Mhm. Uh, lots more sorrel. 
trying to flower. So you obviously use a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. Is this, this, is this uh, creating energy? Is a windmill, is yeah, it? Yeah, so this windmill drives this pump, which you can see underneath it, uh -huh. and this pump helps to push irrigation water around the property. Oh, I see. Yeah. But it's a beautiful structure. It is, Apart from yeah. anything else, isn't it? I think it was rebuilt in 2002, but it was, it was, origi it was originally already here, always here. But Yeah, uh, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so, it's, uh, so it's the Ripon Lee Estate Stormwater Harvesting and Recycling System. That's right. We have a lake here, yeah. and uh, and uh, the lake holds a, a ton of water that's uh, that's harvested from a ten-kilometer radius around the property. Um, there's these drains out in people's neighbourhoods around here. They don't even know that what they're for, but they oh, come really? here because yeah. Sargood, the guy that formed the property, yeah. was on the was a politician and he was on the water board. And he got permission to put this system out there to benefit his own property, which I think ah, is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> politicians never, it never changes. No. Oh, look at this wonderful wisteria. Yeah. Uh, a lovely arbor with this wisteria. And what's behind that there? That's a oh, huge, that's... that's a huge fernery. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. Uh, so you, what did you tell me? 15 acres in here? 15 acres. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. And. Um, wow. Some very big mustards here. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the first uh, sort of tomato seedlings, which are just coming on. Yeah. And of course, ours are just beginning to tail off now oh, of in Ireland. Where yeah. They, um, on them, is that, um, that looks like uh, rocket or yes, arugula. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Wild one. And everything looks very healthy. And, and you were, uh, so I was asking, uh, I'll ask again. Uh, so who looks after this? Uh, do you have lots of gardeners? No gardeners. I mean, I'm I'm the head gardener. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I have. Uh, so really, the people who are doing the grunt work are myself, uh, Matt, my sous chef, and Charles, my junior sous chef, uh -huh. and then my operations manager, Kylie Stadden. So the four of us are the team that does the maintenance generally. Yeah. Um, and then there's about a team of ten to twelve chefs that come here every day to harvest. Oh. So we plant, we turn the soil, we compost. We maintain, um, yeah. barely we're able to, but um, um, and then the others they um, they harvest, so oh, they're here yeah. every day. Yeah. <coughs> so, who taught you how to grow sow seeds? Did you just show yourself? I uh, know my mother is an expert gardener oh, in New Zealand. She? Yeah, ah, yeah, she's quite well known for yeah. her gardening. Uh, yeah. they show their garden. My parents, yeah. um, and she, um, we, I grew up on a sheep and cattle farm in New Zealand, yeah. and. One of the ways that we survived was through my mother's vegetable garden, garden. and yeah. the wild plants and the wild yeah. animals on my on my but, family's farm. Yeah, tell me uh, how the the week works out for your chefs. So one of the things that I've been thinking about over my journey, and I turned forty this year, and I lost two friends to suicide, and both cooks and both in their fifties, both at the same age, both within four weeks of each other, and. You can't answer the question of why somebody will take their own life. Um, and I, for me, they made the wrong decision, but there are obviously um, circumstances around it. I look for sometimes commonalities between our lives, and they were dear people, amazing people, and amazing talents. And the only real commonality between our lives, other than being mates, was that, that we all worked a ton of hours. So yeah. I, around that time, I calculated that I'd already worked um, retirement age hours at 40 of a person that's retiring at 65, if they'd worked a 40-hour yeah. week. Yeah. I, I average 75 hours a week. I still average 75 hours a week in my career from the age of 15 to 40, um, so 25 years. And But earlier this year, I, you know, I'd changed the, the rostering system at Attica to reduce the staff hours quite considerably. So 
our kitchen staff on a 48 hour week, um, which I would say would probably be 20 to 20 to 25 hours below the average yeah. working hour a week mm. of a restaurant of our kind of caliber. Um, so they, they're working 48 hours. They work four 12 hour shifts, either from 10 to 10 or 12 to 12. And then they have three days off. Um, and so they have a life. They have a life. Yeah. Yep. And they're well paid. Yeah. And yeah. And, it's and very... you charge enough money for your. Well, that's right. You food. work. You work it out. Yes. You, you work, work it out. out. Yeah. And at the moment, a lot of restaurants are not well, charging right. enough to actually do what they need to do. No. Uh, to give their uh, their precious team a life, well, and as right. a result, of course, the industry is in such a mess because they just can't get chefs. No, honestly, yeah. honestly, and not honestly, surprising. Honestly, honestly, I believe because of. It, that is the happiest bunch of people working in the restaurant in, a, in the world. Really? We, Isn't that I honestly just believe that. I don't say that we're the best or anything like that. Yeah. But just in terms of happiness and passion, yeah. there's no problems. And I mean, how important is that? Our one and only life. Yeah, I yeah. mean, to have balance. Yeah. But also, like. And also for you to be not feeling like so many bosses are, feeling guilty. No, I see. Properly I have, guilty. I have zero yeah. guilt. Um, ah. And, That's very um, good. That's a big burden lifted off. I know, and I and I'm a uh, I'm a person unfortunately born with a strong conscience who feels every single guilt that you can feel, <laughs> um, and punishes myself duly. But um, so yeah, so for me it's just um, you know wanting to feel good about the ethics of our business, yeah. Yeah. and also you know these young people that work for me, you know they have mothers and fathers and. And I think about them as well, and I think, geez, you know, how would you want your own children to be treated, eh? I know, you know? yeah, like, totally, um, as you would. We always, in restaurants, you know, particularly in our kind of restaurant, we always talk about sustainability. We never talk about sustainability of humans, you know, we yeah. only talk about, you know, being organic or... This is such bike. an important point. Well, it is, yeah. you know, we talk about the fish, we talk about, you know, the, the meat, is it free range, is it grass fed, is... Yeah. But we don't talk about the humans, I mean, why yeah. do we not talk about the humans? Yeah. Like, it... Yeah. It's a culture that exists that, and, it, and it's, it's very ingrained in our in in our in our restaurants all over the world, and it's really hard for people to adapt to the idea that cooks don't need to work seventy hours, eighty hours yeah. a week. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And some people say to me, "Oh, but Ben, you know, they're yeah. only working forty-eight hours. They'll Which never we're become, going, we're this way, this way. Yeah. yeah. They'll never become elite. No, it's a load of baloney. You yeah. know, like if everybody was working, yeah, no, that, that's, hours, that suits people to say that. Oh, it yeah. does suit yeah. people because it's yeah. an excuse, you know, to to make them work that way. Yeah, um, yeah. But for me, it was yeah not not acceptable. Yeah. So, um, well, I and, think that's a really important point, very well made that I have not heard really articulated before. And actually, Radio Four, the food program, you know, BBC Food Program, they recently did. Um, a really moving uh, program on chef suicides. Wow, okay. Yeah, so it's a real, people are really beginning to talk about it now. And it's the pressure. It is. Just the pressure and no life and oftentimes broken relationships. And they suddenly yes. think, well, what have I got for, you know, all the work I've put into this over the years, you know. So it's this conversation that needs to uh, be had more and more, exactly. Well, we're a pretty vagabond bunch, us cooks, you know, if you think about it. We've come from all kinds of different backgrounds. Um, and what, one of the things that I really love about being a cook in our industry is that it just takes people on, you know, like it, hmm. so I often call... And often people who are not academic no, and that's right, you know, just it's love it, a way of their expressing their creativity. Yeah. That's right. So I mean, I've always viewed it as a, a, a bit of a haven for the disenfranchised the society, you know. <laughs> Everybody can have a home in a restaurant, yes. no matter what you've done in the past yes. or what happened. Yeah. Um, but, um, I was going with that, but... Um, 
Um, I've totally gone off track. I forgot. I forgot what I was going to say <laughs> so, in regards to that point. But yeah, um, never mind. It was uh, yes that. Uh, yeah, but you, just because of that, you certainly don't need to just take advantage. And, and uh, you know, sometimes people uh, who work in restaurants are people who, who didn't feel comfortable somewhere else. Well, but still, one, it's not a reason to... No, and, and, I, and I think, yeah. you know, it's a male-driven thing as well, um, to be honest as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I, when, I, when I eventually... I didn't really want to talk about it, actually. I just wanted to do it and to not... You know, yeah. I don't like people who use uh, things that they as a do. marketing thing. No, yeah, it's just something, you know, like yeah, we're talking about human life. You know, not yeah, about an opportunity to get a story in a newspaper. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was it was sort of like, well, I just do it very quietly and uh, yeah, and um, you change you want to see. Eventually, sort of, you know, media had got a hold of it and needed to, they wanted to talk about it so I said well I'm going to talk about it on my own terms so I yeah. put it out there what we're done yeah. and the comments back from people were just overwhelming like it was yeah. you know it, the sorts of comments were like well if if I had been in an environment like yours then I wouldn't have had to give up my career to have children because I think I could have balanced my children, children. Yeah. having children as well as working as a chef because yeah. you know my husband could have looked after the children for two days and I could have done four days at, at a restaurant yeah. like Attica yeah. or you know a, a lot of comments from people in their, in their you know 40s and 50s who had given up and had gone out of the industry and yeah. left it and said well I wish it could have been the way that it, that it was when I was um, there maybe I wouldn't have ended up hating it so much you know yeah. like, which is just I know. Like really sort of yeah. um, heartbreaking comments to read actually yeah um, and oh, and Alice, of course, in, in Alice Waters in Shape and Ease, she very early on did, well, she did a different thing, actually. She did six months on and six months off. Okay. Uh, two chefs, two head chefs. Uh, but in a way, I feel the way you've worked it out is more balanced, really, because, you know, six months on and six months off is all right, but it's... You know, it's still you pretty hard like, for yes. six months. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah, why not just live the whole life like in a good way? Yeah, like in a way that's yes. And, and it, for a chef, then if you're doing six months on or six months off, it's the same six months on, six months uh, off every year. Then you miss all those two seasons well, you do. ingredients, yeah, you do. which yeah. is heartbreaking. Yeah, it's funny. Like when we started doing it, like the cooks couldn't believe it either. You know, like. Uh, and I have to make them stay away. You know, like that's yeah. the other thing. Like you know, our biggest <laughs> problem now is like. Go like, home. Like we'll watch. <laughs> I, I, I'm first at the restaurant every day, and um, well, Kylie and I are my operations manager, and we'll like sit in the office for the first half an hour of the day and catch up, and I'll and you'll hear the gate, and we can look on a camera and watch, and you'll see like a cook trying to come in or yeah. something like that, and we go, no, 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 you've got to go away. Like go and have a cup of tea or go. Up, there's yeah. a mate, we have an amazing staff room with a pinball yeah. machine and a record player and. Um, cook, you know, a few hundred cookbooks. I go and read or go and play pinball upstairs, oh. but don't, don't come down here and start cooking because we're not ready for you yet. And, I um, know. So I joke, I joke with her the other day that you know, it's a not a bad situation when the biggest <laughs> yeah, problem you have is to trying to make them, them go away. You know, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs>